0: Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on May 21st. The theme of the evening was The Move. Your next storyteller uh, is one of the reasons why this crazy set is behind me. Um, he, uh, I don't even want to give him an intro because you could just, when you're exiting, you could just r- run your fingers over his accolades on the walls in the lobby. Like, he, but I'll, <laughs> He's a uh, founding member of the Bumport Theater uh, and a genuine delight. Please welcome Brian Colonna.
1: Thank you. Um, I'll watch you running your fingers over the awards in the lobby afterwards. Because it will be weird, but I'll watch. Um, When I was seven, my dad took me to break dancing classes at the YMCA. Uh, By 1986, the underground had visibly surfaced at many suburban YMCA's. And for a reasonable price you could learn uh, to be like Ozone or Turbo from your favorite movie, Breakin'. And I wanted to be more like Ozone because that's who my babysitter loved. Um, <laughs> she wrote his name in blue pen on my Breakin' album, and she circled his name with a heart. And she pressed hard enough that she scored the cardboard. I still remember it, ozone with this like beautiful heart. And it was so sexy or illicit or whatever a seven-year-old thinks about uh, their babysitter's handwriting. But I think it was sexy looking back on it. Um, so anyway, my, my heart uh, had been powerfully affected by, by this drawn heart of my babysitters. And I told my father that I needed to learn breakdancing. So uh, I don't think he was 100% behind the idea because on the drive over, uh, he turned to me and he said, you know, breakdancing is just a fad. (laughs) And again, my seven-year-old heart was powerfully affected and I decided to prove him wrong and devote my entire life in a very unfad-like manner to learning the art of breakdancing. So I began the first class and ultimately, it was not particularly challenging or memorable, uh, except that I did learn my move, which for the purposes of tonight's story is apropos. Um, I'm gonna do my best to describe my move to all of you as doing it in my current condition would probably kill me. (laughs) So we'll use our imaginations together. The worm, there's some fans out there but I'll be more specific. The worm, ladies and gentlemen, basically happens when one slaps their entire body all over the floor, sort of like this. Uh, you start, you know, with your, your shins and then your knees and then your thighs and then your crotch and then your chest and then your face hitting the ground pretty hard. And then you repeat this movement in a, in a wave-like pattern over and over and you use, you use the wave to propel yourself forward and also backwards sometimes. I should note that is an advanced technique that I was very good at. And as far as I was concerned, I, I invented the backward part. I, I don't know if that's true or not. But the point is that my worm, my worm was beautiful. It really was transcendent. It, it, was, uh, it was unworldly. Those are the three adjectives I wrote down for, for my room, And I, I, like, erased a couple. And then I was like, un, unworldly. Yeah, that captures it. Mozart didn't, didn't ask to be a musical genius. He didn't strain. He didn't struggle. He got out of bed at age six. He peed in his chamber pot, he ate breakfast, and he wrote a symphony. Sometimes life is like this glorious gifts are handed down from the heavens, and the recipient has no choice but to accept. So I learned the worm at the YMCA, and immediately, without practice, like some kind of genius, my worm was fluid, it was fully formed. It was perfect. It may have been the best worm that you would ever see. But I can't show you because doing the worm at the level that I was doing it has tremendous costs. Icarus. Sounds like some of you know the story. He flew close to the sun and his wings melted and then he fell into the sea and he drowned and because you know that story so well you can understand the kind of situation that I'm in (laughs) now because I can't show you the move I did a little bit of interneting. emails is what they're called and I asked a couple of friends who had seen my worm when I was still doing it to to write to me tell me about it so that I could establish its superiority and and authenticity only two people wrote back (laughs) one of which you know had to because she's like my best friend and I'd be like why didn't you write to me Um, the other one I I don't even know but I'm going to read them to you to establish my worm's superiority and unworldliness since that's an adjective we all liked This from my friend, Aaron, quote, it is the best worm I've ever seen. I'll grant that there may be ones that are more fluid or sexy, can the worm be sexy, question mark? (laughs) But yours had great height and was excellent both forwards and backwards. (laughs) Just as Professor Felix has given himself carpal tunnel with his very skilled manipulation of cards. I fear you have caused great damage to a certain area (laughs) doing your very skilled worm. But for me, it was worth it. I imagine you feel differently. (laughs) Professor Felix, a local um, conjurer and mentalist, if you haven't seen him, he is amazing and does do skillful manipulations. Um, Now, this one from The Stranger. This is from the ex-wife of a friend's brother. (laughs) Who I do remember meeting at at the mentioned location here. Mickey here. That's her name. I witnessed your worm at a cavernous cowboy bar in Las Cruces, New Mexico many years ago. It was at that point that I both was sad and happy. Cause I was like, oh shit, I was doing the worm <laughs> in a bar in Las Cruces. But let me go back. So I witnessed this worm in a cavernous cowboy bar in Las Cruces, New Mexico many years ago. It was epic. And the scrotums of other men surely crawled back into their cowardly bellies <laughs> as they lay witness to it. Yeah. Fuck yeah. So it is clear from these testimonials that my worm was wonderful. But the other element that you've noticed that has been introduced is that the toll that such an amazing feat takes on your body is terrible. Since learning the worm, I have had my tonsils removed. I'm not saying they're directly connected, but they could be. I've had my tonsils removed, my adenoids scraped, an emergency appendectomy, and most recently, a double inguinal hernia surgery. That one seems suspicious. And (laughs) as I was writing this stupid thing, I was drinking dye contrast for a CAT scan on my abdomen. Because of what is probably spiritual pain, but... (laughs) I'll see if the doctor can tell me what he or she thinks it is. So my point is, being the best has its downside, and in the case of the worm, being the best may concentrate its downside on your pelvic region, which takes a real beating. I'm not even sure that I can have children. I'm not I'm ne- I've never tried, so I'm not sure. But here's the real, this is where I'd like to really make everyone think. As I, as I stand before you tonight, held together with Teflon mesh and missing the parts of my body that serve no function except to get infected and make you sick, you're all wondering the same question. Was it worth it? I don't know. I, I deal with this, this question every day. And here, here's some of my thoughts. Some people never find their gift you know, or they don't have one. So in that respect, (laughs) come on, that's true. So in this respect, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. But on the other hand, and this is the tragic part, at a very tender age, I've both found my calling and already lost it. (laughs) I'd like to speak tangentially for just a moment about the prevailing opinion that high-level mathematics is best done when you're young. <laughs> apparently, apparently, the work is so mentally challenging that by the time you've reached middle age, you're, like, done. So it's possible that you could, you know, pick up a high school algebra class and teach it. But as for, you know, Pascal's theorem, your days of that are over. Um, and Pascal is actually a perfect example because all his serious... Math work was done at a very early age. He debuted, and I had to look this up, his mystical hexagram at age 16. And then by 39, he was dead. So that concerned me. (laughs) Because, and this is why the tangent makes sense, was my worm, was my gift, like math? Have I used up my gift? That's the question. Have I used it up? I was drunk with talent. There was a time I would have wormed for you for no reason at all. You didn't even have to ask me. I did it. I was great. I was, I was Pascal on the dance floor. But what did it get me? I mean, it's got me nothing. Not, I didn't even get to have sex with a nice lady at the bar in Las Cruces. <laughs> So I'm feeling bad because I've lost the gift and now I guess I'm just waiting to die. (laughs) Because my purpose has been... I've done the thing I was put on the earth to do and I can't do it anymore. So I stuck there. I was going to stop there. But then I wanted to be positive. So I thought, maybe the worm did give me nothing unless... unless you believe in beauty. but let me explain and use your imagination you can close your eyes if you want because because my worm was beautiful I was younger I was moving and for a moment before my penis and crotch area slammed into the ground for a moment I was airborne. <laughs> it was kind of this, I can give you count, some. I was airborne. I was I was flying. It was beauty just for beauty's sake. And if you believe in that, then my worm gave me everything. Thank you very much.
0: That's Brian Colonna. Oh my gosh. Your next storyteller. Uh, She is the host of Open Air on Colorado Public Radio. Uh, Please welcome Jesse Witten.
2: The thing about radio is you're talking to thousands of people, but you're doing it alone. So this is pretty different. Um, this topic is really relevant to my life right now in a strange way because I was recently offered a dream job at another affiliate NPR radio station, and it was one of those really big adult decisions you had to think about. Do I want to move to the West Coast? And with that, I realized just how attached I am to my Colorado and identity, which is weird because I'm not from Colorado, and I always think I am in college there was one of those get to know you games where you say two lies and one truth and i said this is my natural hair color i'm 30 years old and i was born in colorado and when everyone had guessed the wrong answer i said nope i was born in colorado and immediately after saying it i realized that was not true at all and i just said i just said three lies so all these new people set them up for failure um But I was actually born in California and I moved here when I was 10. And in deciding whether or not to leave Colorado, I realized, no, I love everything about my life right now. I love the work I'm doing. I love being in Colorado and I don't want a single thing to change. And as soon as I turned down that job, my landlord called me and said he sold the building. We had to get the fuck out by July. So I have another move ahead of me. So wish me luck on that. Uh, And I am from California, but I have few memories of living in California. I do know that I was my school's unofficial mascot and uh, that was since the age of two because my mom worked there and in lieu of daycare she would just bring me to the class and all the teachers knew me. I would roam from classroom to classroom just aimlessly like I owned the place and they let me think I did. And since my mom was one of the favorite teachers, I was also a favorite of the students. Everyone loved me and I never wanted for attention, it was wonderful. and. I have a strange memory of even getting up on one of the tables in the cafeteria and just dancing on the tables with my mom during lunch. And now that I think about it, it's so surreal. It, it seems like a dream, but my mom has confirmed it as fact, and evidently it happened regularly, even weekly at times. One of my clearest memories was after school one day, all the students were leaving, and everyone was just saying goodbye to my mom. Everyone was so happy to see her, even just one last time before they left. And I looked up at her, and I said... I can't wait to be Mrs. Witten and grow up and be just like you. And, of course, they called her Mrs. Witten. My mom's name is Sue. And she looked down casually. She didn't think much of it and said, Well, you won't, you won't be Mrs. Witten. I'm Mrs. Witten because I married your father and took his name. You'll, you'll have some other name. You'll marry someone and take their name. And I was so devastated. I don't know if she realized how crushed I was as a three-year-old kid standing at her feet, And I felt so mad that they gave girls last names to begin with if they were just going to take them away like that. That's not fair. And I'd never never been greeted like that when I said what I wanted to be. I said I wanted to be an actress or a stand-up or a bug doctor. And everyone said, go for it, you can do it, go for it. This was my first inkling that maybe I don't control what I'm gonna be and maybe my identity is variable. I was terrified that my name and my identity would be associated with a man I'd never met. And that still kind of terrifies me a little bit. But I have more agency than I thought I did at the time. But it's a scary thought when you're a kid knowing that you don't necessarily get to say what you're gonna be. But when my parents said we were moving to Colorado, I'd never heard of Colorado before. I was nine years old, and I guess the California public school system had failed me in a big way. (laughs) I had no idea what it was. I didn't know what moving was, I'd never moved. I didn't know it was gonna be permanent. I didn't know that I wouldn't be able to just drive over to my friend's house or just pop into the school, get a little of attention, and go home happy. I didn't know everything was gonna change, but it did. We moved to Fort Collins and I started a new school and about a week into it, I went home and asked my mom when she was gonna start teaching because I was ready to have some fun. I was ready to have some friends. I evidently am not good at getting attention by deserving it. If people don't hand it to me, I don't get it the right ways. So I wanted to get the gang back together and do things right. But I struggled to find my footing on my own for a really long time, and I didn't find one of those really best, best friends until sixth grade. It was Brittany Hall, and we memorized every Green Day record together. That's a good friend. And we would build radio shows together, which now that that's my career, it was really great finding her on Facebook and saying, you know that thing we used to fuck around with? I get paid to do that now. That's amazing, but she moved away, and she was my one successful friendship. And after that, it was devastated. It took me so long to build this friendship and I didn't know what to do. So I attached myself to a group of gal pals. And while I found camaraderie with Britney in our love of music and Beavis and Butthead and pretending we knew how to skateboard, <laughs> I didn't do any of those things with these girls. We went out and got honks. And there's a reason you don't know what that is. <laughs> Uh, This is the process of walking up and down the major street between all of our houses with the hope that male drivers will honk at us. Sort of an approval, an applause of our sexiness. And we were 13 years old. We didn't come up with this. It happened one day we were walking home from school in our regular flares and tank tops as we were wearing at school that day. And someone leaned out of their car window and just screamed, "Woo!" and honked the horn and laid on it like they were at spring break. And we thought, is this how easy it is to get male attention? Right on! So that's where we went for our male attention from then on. We went and we got our honks. (sighs) When we weren't getting honks, we were playing the pass-out game, and there's maybe another reason why you don't know what this is. I realize now, looking back, that we were just desperate for drugs and... Without any immediate access, we just were taking advantage of our body's natural weaknesses. So someone would just lean over, and just make themselves hyperventilate like that, and then push themselves against a wall, and the next girl would grab her by the neck and choke her out until we passed out and fell to the floor. That's how we got our kicks. For cheap, real cheap. And, And one day, I woke up on the floor with a bloody gash on my back. That was the last time I would play the pass-out game, and I was a bitch because I wouldn't play the pass-out game anymore. And looking back and realizing just how many brain cells you kill from making yourself pass out, I just wish to God someone had handed us a joint. <sighs> All right, I was doing it right. Uh, but there were a lot of friends, there were a lot of rules and stipulations to this friendship. I had to go over to Mary's house every morning and get my hair done. And it took hours, and it was elaborate, and it hurt. It was more elaborate than the hairstyles you see in Game of Thrones. We, we went to work, and we wore a uniform of our flare jeans and low-cut belly T-shirts. And also, much like Game of Thrones, we plotted our relationships in order to increase our power. So if Mary liked John, I had to hook up with John's best friend to bring him into the fold and increase the power of our kingdom. And if I failed, I failed our kingdom, and the consequence was dire. The consequence, of course, being snubbed in the hallways, which was unspeakable. Our friend Sarah had a glare I still dream about, or at least have nightmares about, This was long before the movie mean girls but it's still surreal to remember how time genuinely stopped when sarah would stare me down in school we'd be crossing each other she'd lock eyes squint a little bit drop her brows and give this half smile that said i will destroy you and it physically hurt to get this stare and this was really all the punishment needed in order to keep me in line, which I was for a really long time. They kept me in line. But one day, Sarah wanted to go get honks, because this was our quick way, (laughs) that sounds so stupid, to reassure ourselves that we did indeed have it going on and get that uh, extra boost of self-confidence that we just couldn't seem to muster on our own. But for some reason, I I didn't want to go that day, and I really... Don't know why at the time I didn't want to go. I I wish I could have gone into an explanation of the evils of objectification of women and how we were better than getting reinforcement from fuckos who were honking at jailbait. We were children on the street. Who is this person? People. More than one man. Regular basis. I still don't know who does that. But I just didn't want to go. I wish I knew those things, but I didn't. I didn't want to go. And Mary said, well, if you're gonna be a bitch, you should just go home. And the really sad part is to get home, I still had to walk down that same street where we get our honks. And um, instead of that intense feeling of pride and power I normally got from those honks, I was so scared and it was horrible to realize that I was not in control of when I was sexualized. And when I walked in the door, I was weeping. And the hallways were bad enough to get snubbed in. That was terrible. It felt painful in my heart. But the cafeteria was a nightmare. You sit down at the table and you're greeted with just all surround sound of evil stares and silence until they eventually ignore you and go back to talking trash about whoever. But I had nowhere else to go in these instances. I felt like I had nowhere else to go. Later that week, I still felt a little shaken from the honking experience, and I was on the phone with Mary, and that was another one of our rules. We had to talk on the phone at least an hour every single night, or we were no longer friends. And Mary got another call and switched over. I waited patiently. She came back and said it was Sarah, and I needed to wait a little bit longer. And I said, you know, I can just, I can just call you back. And she huffed, um, it'll just be a sec. And she switched over, or so she thought. And she said, what is wrong with Jessie? She's such a bitch. And I said, still here. <laughs> I just heard that. And she's really clever. She said, no, you didn't. <laughs> and I did. So um, something about that moment, so we just flipped the switch where I realized it's, it's never going to get easier. I'm never going to win. We're never going to get to the fun part of this relationship. We just won't get to the place where Brittany and I were, listening to Green Day. And I stopped caring what Mary said to me. And the next day after this horrible decision to talk back, I knew I would be crossing paths with Sarah in the hall and I knew I was in for a face thrashing. And the moment came and she threw me that death stare and I laughed. I laughed because of the power she thought she had and the fact that I was gonna be fine no matter what shape she made with her mouth, and that felt so good to know. And when I got to the cafeteria that day, I realized I had a choice to make. I had survived the stare down, but I guess I realized I didn't wanna just survive my social interactions, so I moved. Um, Mary and Sarah watched as I walked to the other end of the cafeteria and sat down with some relative strangers. If I had to label them, I'd say they were the band kids, but they were so much more than that in the end. Haley would ride her longboard to school and had really short hair and all these different colors. She would change them every week. And Jacob had this incredible voice. He was a star of all of our musicals and he was the only gay kid we knew of in school and it would take him another year to come out to us and he was genuinely confused and disappointed when we all said, oh, we know, we we know that. And Nick was a history buff with this huge vocabulary. And I was wearing flares and a belly shirt. And that's all the personality I had to give them for the first long while. But they welcomed me. And these were the people who'd become my forever friends. And we would have such uproarious fun in the cafeteria at lunch that Mary would even come by every now and then for a chat. She'd never stay long, but she was always welcome. And my mom started coming to lunch too. Like the old days, we'd have fun in the cafeteria. And she still had that same magnetic effect as she did in California. It was so much fun to see how much people loved her and me when she was there. But I also had the opportunity to see that they loved me even when she wasn't there. I realized like, I'm, I'm never gonna be Mrs. Witten, but I'm Jesse Witten, and that's just as good. <laughs> At least they made me think that. So there's the big move, California, Colorado. And then there's the little move. And one of my favorite bands, the Hot IQs, has this lyric that says, you're the same in this town as you were in that town. And I think that's basically true. But you're sure as fuck not the same from one table in a junior high to the next. And sometimes the smallest moves, even just three tables in junior high, makes the biggest impact. Congratulations to the narrators on this move, and thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. That was Jesse Witten. The narrator's podcast is recorded and produced by Ron Doyle. The narrator's podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl, or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.